This week on Excelsior Journeys is author Shanti Hershenson. Shanti is from San Diego. She's gotten 18 books written. She's published 11 of them. And did I happen to mention she's 14 years old? JLD, do the honors. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of the award-winning podcast, Entrepreneurs on Fire. And you're listening to the Excelsior Journeys with George Soroy. Prepare to ignite. So would you say that that's kind of like the lightning bolt moment for you? And that's you, why I moment? taught myself how to draw. was actually the Little Mermaid. Drawing stills of Ariel. On. I've got better things to do tonight than so die. So jumped out of his chair and said, who the F is this? I remember walking out of the theater with him saying, I'm going to write Halloween I'm sex. rather impressed with your research. Rarely do people ask me about children in the corner. It doesn't have to be perfect. Just do it. You know, yeah. throw some spaghetti yeah. against the wall. See this if it is sticks. George Soroy saying to all of you, ever upward. Welcome back to Excelsior Journeys. This is George Soroy. Thank you so much for being here. I'm going to take you guys back a little bit in time to around 1990 to 1991. And that was the time that I felt so accomplished because I started putting pen to paper when it came to actually writing out the stories that I had been just doing in comic book form from grade school up at that point. At this point, I was a freshman in, in high school. And I felt that I was so accomplished by making that transition and switching over to writing. I felt like that was going to be a much better focus for all these different stories that I had. And I felt great when I when I finished it and I just kept on going from there. However, thanks to the wonders of Podmatch, I was introduced to a young writer by the name of Shanti Hershenson, who has written almost two dozen books and has published about 11 of them. And she just happens to be around the same age that I was when I was starting up that first foray into writing. So I am really, really excited to have Shanti here because she has proven herself several times over to be a true inspiration for all of those kids that are wanting to get their stories out, wanting to get their ideas out, but they don't quite know how to do it and they don't feel that they're that they're ready yet that they feel that there is something that's stopping them from, from doing it, that they need to focus on other things before they can do that. But no, she has, she has pushed forward for quite a while now. And I am really, really excited to hear her story and as well as the latest things about her upcoming books. So it is a real pleasure for me to introduce to you Shanti Hershenson. Shanti, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I am doing terrific. Thank you so much for being here. I, when reached out to me on Podmatch, which fellow podcasters, if you're not on Podmatch, why aren't you really? Because you are opening yourself up to a whole new, a whole new stream of talent that will benefit from being on your show and your show will benefit from having them on. And Shanti is a perfect example of that. When she reached out to me, she said flat out that she is a 14-year-old author. And then she told me how, how much she has done and how much she has already published. And that just completely blew me away. So for starters, let's hear a little bit about your latest book. What's the latest one that you have coming out? So my latest release, Never Dying, it released on June 30th. And honestly, I think it's the best book I've ever written. It's the longest, it's my longest published book now. Mm -hmm. And honestly, it's just, it's one of my favorites. The plot has the best plot of like all my books, I think. And there's something I forgot. It's also so close to being my most popular book. There's only one book ahead of that now. And really? this book's 
done better than it short term. So awesome. Really now, are you working with a small press? Are you doing all this indie? Are you working with a bigger press? Where are you in the terms of your publishing world? So for now, I self-publish with Kindle Direct Publishing, and then I use Ingram Spark for my hardcovers. However, I'm thinking once I'm older and I have a larger platform, so maybe when I'm like 16 or 17, I might try to get traditionally published just because there are so many new opportunities that that could bring. But it does really depend on like if I'm like really successful self-publishing, then I might stay with it. Or if not, then I'll try to traditionally publish. It's this whole chaotic thing. But yeah, for now, I'm self-published. Wow, you are so far ahead of the game. Like, <laughs> I am I am floored by the sort of progress that you've already made. And then yes. saying, maybe when I'm old, maybe when I'm 16 or 17, that's when you'll, you'll start pivoting. I'm honestly just absolutely blown away. Let's start from the beginning here, because one of the things that I always like to talk about is the lightning bolt moment. And that's that moment where you experience something or hear something, read something, meet someone. And that just makes you want to say, that's what I want to do. That's the kind of life I want to lead. What was it about writing that got you into all of this in the first place? Oh, I have so many moments. Um, Mm -hmm. One of them in particular is in very early elementary school. And I talk about this a lot because this is my earliest memory, like actually writing a mm-hmm. quote unquote book. We had free choice time in elementary school. And I don't know what came over me, but I was like, I want to write a book. So I got like all the, the paper together and I drew on the papers and created this story. Mm-hmm. And then I bound it together. It was very bad. I don't actually know if there were really any words in there. I was like five years old but that was the moment when I just kind of realized like this is something people do I also Mm -hmm. there have been moments early on also when I walked into bookstores and I would ask my parents if I could write a little story and like a little kind of bind it and leave it on the shelf and if anyone would buy it and just moments like that where it was something I wanted to do but I didn't know how to do it because I was like six years old (laughs) I think there have been so many lightning like that lightning bolt moments over the years that have led to this Mm mm-hmm that's awesome. <laughs> so cool. I remember doing something similar when I was when I was in grade school as well. Like I was trying to pass the time with my friends in fourth grade. And that's when we started kind of creating these characters that would be like the seeds for the characters that I'm working on now after all this time. So with that in mind, like the those stories that you would put together, were they like comic strips or anything? Did you did you draw any pictures or was it just words? A lot of them, there were some that I found, because I just actually found a whole bin of them. Some of them are literally just words. Others have words and pictures. I did some comics, too. Nice. Um, if I actually remember, I did want to be a graphic novelist more, because I didn't, like, I didn't really like to read. <laughs> I, mean, I did like to read, but I never found books that actually interested me, and I actually preferred mm-hmm. graphic novels growing up, I think, as do most kids. So I was like, I could write a graphic novel. And then what I realized is I have no artistic talent whatsoever. So when did you start realizing that you could make a run of this and you started actually really committing to ju- to putting all this stuff down in book form? When I was 12 years old, I had actually, I published my first two novellas when I was 12 using KDP. They were with a friend and they were not really good. They were basically short stories. So I actually didn't think that I could make a career of writing with those books. Like I just thought this was something fun, but I feel like it did kind of pave the way. So then in the middle of the pandemic and I had had literally nothing to do, I was so bored Mm -hmm. and I thought, why not write a book? And at first... I just sat down and I didn't know what I was doing. I wanted to actually write a screenplay first because I was really into screenwriting then. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't get past the first scene. So then I actually just decided that I was going to try to write a book. Mm -hmm. And I did. A few months later, I had my completed novel. 
actually, it was so long that it needed to be, be split into three books because uh, publishing a 250,000 word novel is really hard. So I actually 250,000 up- <laughs> words. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay. I, have, I don't think it's with me right now. It's in my room. But I have the printed first draft. It's very oh, no. So I ended up like splitting it into three book. books. <laughs> but like once I realized I could write this really long, just exciting novel, I was like, this is something I could do. I could write. I could do this again. Mm-hmm. Um, and so once that book was done, once it was being edited, I did do it again and again and again. And here we are. <laughs> nice. So you said that it, while the first one was being edited. So did you bring in an editor to really take a look at this? So, yeah. So first off, like, I try, I'm trying to remember the time framing here. It's really difficult. Mm-hmm. So I have a writing coach who helps me just edit my books and like proofread them and look for like occasional plot holes and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I think, yeah, that was when Biomlock would have been being edited. So I was like done. I set it aside. I was like, like, we should maybe start cutting because it needed to be cut down a lot. It's very wordy. So then I actually, I started working on like, well, that which is kind of sitting there waiting for like a publication date almost because I was trying Mm -hmm. to figure out all those logistics. I went and I started working on a new series of a a series of novellas. They're around a hundred pages long. There are three of them out. And actually those through all the novellas I've written. At first I was actually doing more novellas than novels. Now my backlog has, I think one poetry book Mm -hmm. and then the rest are all just novels. So it's kind of chaotic, but anyways, Biomlock, I originally wanted to publish it in May And there was just so much work that needed to be done even after splitting it into three books Mm -hmm. that I was like, okay, I don't know if this is going to work. So I pushed it back to June and then July and then August. But in that time, I was like, look, I have so many, I have so many books now because I was, I kept writing while working on that book that I actually released a series of novellas and then another book, You Won't Know Her Name, which is actually my most popular book. And then finally my first book actually released. So it's like, it was my first written book, but it wasn't even my first published book, if that makes any sense. Oh, it does. Yeah. And it sounds like what you were doing was really kind of testing the waters and seeing how things go and just kind of releasing one smaller, one smaller piece and then another and then another. And it just so happened that while the bigger piece is going ahead and getting edited and getting finalized, it sounds like everything is kind of building. Like you snowballed this. You did this in a really, really smart way. I'm really, really <laughs> impressed with how, how you're able to do this because as you were doing it, once those first ones come out, once those first ones came out, did you notice did you notice a really strong readership or was it something that was growing over time? What how was how was it kind of how did it feel just realizing that you had something here? So with my first five published books, that does include the novellas I published in sixth grade. So it's like the, mm-hmm. the three books that I released, because I didn't actually release the third novella until months later. But for mm-hmm. the first three books I released, I was able to really experience with marketing. And I ended up making my TikTok account after the release of that third book, You Won't Know Her Name. And I was able to really experiment with marketing and figure out what worked and how to kind of gain a readership. By then, I was literally just using Instagram like only to market my books and realized like I need more social media. Yep. And I found like some of the marketing strategies that I still use today, even with my 11th book. And so Biomlock was technically my sixth published book and it did fairly well. The only thing that I would actually do differently with that marketing Mm -hmm. is I needed to do target audience research more. And that was something that literally did not make sense to me. I mean, it did, it made a little sense, but I was like 13 so I just thought, oh, yeah, science fiction readers, maybe kids. But there's a lot of target audience research that's important because when I released the book, I accidentally targeted towards sci-fi readers. But the websites that I'm using had a population of more like kind of older adults who probably mm. would not enjoy a book about 13-year-olds as much. And as such, there were a lot more negative reviews than there could have been, I think, had I 
marketed it towards teenagers and middle schoolers. I think with all the free promotion, I was using Freebooksy and mm-hmm. I like, I love that website. I've used it for like all my releases. Just that one release, I should have put it in like young adult instead of sci-fi and maybe it would have done a little better. Yep. Because in a way, Biomlock, at least the first book, like I started writing that series as a middle grade series. So mm-hmm. it could cater to a much younger audience than the adults reading it and then they're not going to enjoy it because, oh, this is childish, this is silly. But yeah, now I've been able to kind of research. And I think TikTok actually has helped a lot with that because I've been able to connect with that audience almost directly. I'm, I'm scared. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to submit for a book bub deal soon. I am so scared. It's... <laughs> It's definitely like I got, I got to give credit to my publisher for doing that because once originally when when our books came out, it was it was all through Kindle Unlimited. Once he went wide with the distribution, then all of a sudden, bam, we got that BookBub deal set up. And I think the if we had gone for the young adult one, it probably would have been a little, little bit more competition and it would have been a little bit longer and probably would have been more expensive before we before we were able to get that one. But Getting that sci-fi deal, it helped. Like I, like I will say, like it definitely helped. And I feel like with the with the the promotion that you already have and the fan base that you already have, I think once you get that bookbub deal, things are going to skyrocket. I really believe that. So tell us a little bit about the characters. Like, what was it? Like, what what uh, what are these stories that really grabbed you and just say, I have to write them. I have to put them down. So I have to I have to talk about Biomlock, my first book, before I talk yeah. about any of my books in terms of characters, because those are mm-hmm. the first characters that I really created and I really developed. Honestly, I don't even know how it like I, I love those characters so much. The main character, Griffin, what I found is I can relate to him a lot and I put a lot of myself into him. And he's basically a thirteen year old boy, but he's mm-hmm. basically like if I were a thirteen year old boy. I think we have a lot in common. But also, like, he's a lot braver than I am. And then the other character that I always think of whenever I think of my best characters would be Kira, also from Biomlock. She's very complex and she's very flawed and she has a very tragic backstory, but there are still moments in the plot where she's, like, happy and enjoying things. I'm not sure how really many scenes there are, but there are some. And she's dealing with, like, a really kind of traumatic past and a really dark secret, but she's still sort of managing to live on. Sort of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. But yeah, honestly, like, as for other characters, the Never Dying characters I always think of, that's my most recent book. Not finished, Mm -hmm. but like my most recent published book. The characters in Never Dying, again, feel very flawed and very real. The two main characters are basically exact opposites, except they have to find that they have a lot more in common than they think. And that was particularly hard to make these two characters actually like like each other, but Mm -hmm. it worked. Excellent. So was it the characters or was it the particular story that really kind of grabbed you and made you want to want to get that going? I think a combination of both, but mainly I think like the characters, a lot of it, because I think characters are literally essential to having a good story. Like you can have an mm-hmm. amazing plot and horrible characters, but you can have like a meh plot and amazing characters. And I feel like it would be a little better. Yeah. Uh, so I think definitely like just the characters but also, I mean, it's hard to answer because the plot, especially mm-hmm. of Biomlock, it was like so new to me. I honestly yeah. I hadn't read many dystopian novels beforehand, but I just yeah, I still love the Biomlock plot. It's very silly, but I do still love that one. Awesome. So you would say that this is YA dystopian sci-fi? Definitely. What's funny is like I actually didn't know what dystopian was until I started writing the book mm-hmm. and yeah. i was like googling like book genres and categories and then that came up and i was like oh this fits my book yeah i think mm-hmm. this works yep awesome and then so 
So you have that you you're able to get that that first book out. Now this is after the after the novellas, after the short stories and everything, you get your first novel out. What was that sort of, what was that feeling like actually getting to hold that finished book in your hand when all that was said and done? It was very I don't know, it was very strange. I think it was it was weird because by Unlock it was like my sixth published book, but it was like my mm-hmm. first novel. But yeah. it didn't it almost didn't have that same realness to it as mm. the others did just because like I'd gotten kind of used to holding my own books. Right. However, I think when when that printed copy actually did come in the mail, there was sort of this really overwhelming feeling of relief because I thought I was never going to get this book out. Right. Like it was just taking so long and I was just so worried that nothing would come out of it. So in that way, there was this feeling of relief. And I just remember I kind of felt brought back to my 12-year-old self. Of course, I was like 13 then. So it really wasn't right. much of a time difference. Way like, back. One year yeah. Difference. <laughs> yeah. And I was like just remembering how I thought like, oh, maybe this book will be like 20,000 words. And then it was ended up being like 250,000 words and then cut back to around 60,000 words. So even that 60,000 word version like just felt incredible to me. Yeah. And like, yeah. <laughs> so – you know, you mentioned before that you do Ingram Spark for your hardcovers. Now, so you are all your book available in hardcover? Or are they paperback, or what are the different formats where they're available? So all of them are available in paperback and ebook, and I believe mm-hmm. four of them are available in hardcover. Mm-hmm. Uh, Never Dying, You Won't Know Her Name, The Axel Insurgent, and The God's Right Hand all are available in hardcover. And then Those are great um, titles, by the way. That's very cool titles. Yeah. Yeah, and then the rest are in like paperback and ebook too. Nice. Have you thought about making making the jump to audio? I think I really want to do it. I like I just don't have the kind of time. I was thinking with you won't know her name, I could probably record the audiobook myself. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I'd have to hire someone to do that and mm-hmm. I don't know if I have the money to do that or not. I might. Well, there's you never know. You never know. Yeah. And so so one of the other things that I was really fascinated about is that you're not only you're not only using social media to promote these books, but you also have a very strong anti-bullying stance that you've been able to use your platforms for as well. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So I speak a lot about anti-bullying both on podcasts and on social media and really like just in general uh, mm-hmm. enough so that you won't know her name. My most popular book is very much about anti-bullying. Really? And yes, the reasoning behind that is I got, I've gotten bullied for like most of my life. I was kind of the weird kid growing up because I was into like traditionally like boy things. So mm-hmm. a lot of like, I didn't like kids. I didn't really feel like I fit in with like, this is mainly, I think like third and fourth grade earlier. I don't really remember, but mm-hmm. like, I didn't really feel like I fit in with like the girl stuff. And then like the boys didn't let me hang out with them. So it mm-hmm. was kind of weird. And I mean, I also think like gender norms need to be abolished because it's just, it's unfair for kids growing up, I think. Mm-hmm. And so I felt like I was kind of like the weird kid and I wrote a lot and I loved Beyblades. So like in fourth grade, I got bullied for being the girl who loved Beyblades. But later on, when I started middle school, I just got bullied and I don't even know what, but I, there was, as soon as I started the sixth grade, I underwent the most severe bullying I've ever gone through. I, it's wow. so hard to like explain. Cause I don't even know if it, it, it was bad enough. I don't know if it can be considered bullying anymore. It was just straight up abuse at that point. And really? there were some other things that happened that are very much explicit that I can't mention. It's all in, you won't know her name. But after that, I was left horrified because these were literally my first two months of middle school. Like, yeah. I didn't even know what to think. So I took it to my school administration. I showed them evidence. I was literally 11 years old and mm-hmm. I was like absolutely distraught. 
And their response was to give the student who did a lot of horrible stuff over the span of like three months, two months, I don't remember, one day talking to, and then that was it. Even though there were more than there was, there were more people hurt than just me. I was just the one that came forward, and then there was my sister too. Yeah. And anyways, their response was, "It's just middle school. It happens all the time, and it doesn't happen all uh, the time." And, so disappointing when you hear that. Like it's these people are supposed to protect you. Yeah, and it's like I carried on with my life, and still that person they kept doing little things to bother me and Mm -hmm. people would come to me and say hey that person did things to me and even as I got to eighth grade literally two years later I had someone who had no idea that I had history with that person say hey Shanti they did such and such to me and every time I would go to my school administration it would be like going in circles I like there needed to be change in my school because people were getting hurt and it wasn't just me often it was one person doing things to like a lot of people but there are other instances with like boys doing inappropriate things to girls that were just completely overlooked and I was very upset so flash backwards to about Mm. summer between seventh and eighth grade I like I was horrified because we had the pandemic and then I didn't want to return to school for eighth grade and the way I was able to get kind of all my anger out was to write this book, You Won't Know Her Name. And it's mm-hmm. basically an exact retelling of what happened to me, only it's in poetry and no one has a name. So it's very, really? very interesting. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow, um, that's, that, is, that, that is amazing. So what, what was you. it that made you want to go in that direction with the, with the storytelling aspect? Because that is really ambitious, that sort, so, that sort of production. I really like, I just, I was having so much trouble healing and I didn't know what to do. I just thought I'm writing all these books. Why not write about it? I wrote, I used to write poetry to kind of help myself get through it, but even that wasn't really working anymore. Mm -hmm. I started writing two versions. I didn't get past the first chapter where they were in full text. And I just decided like, I write so much poetry and I've been using poetry as a way to heal and it'll end up probably occurring in the book as like a theme. So why not just write the book as poetry? And I started and that's what worked. And a few weeks later I had my first draft and yeah. Wow. Wow. So what is your, what's your production schedule? Like what is it? I mean, the sort of, the sort of work that you've got out there, like that you have to have some serious discipline when it comes to committing the time to writing all of this. What's your, what's your average, what's your average word count? Per day is a thousand words a day on school days. And then on weekends and over the summer, anywhere between 2000 to 5,000 over summer again, the seven between seventh and eighth grade, I was doing 5,000 words a day and I finished a novel, like the first draft in about 16 days because of that. Mm -hmm. Other times I just like to do a thousand words a day. It's pretty simple. And it's basically like just a one-way ticket to finishing your novel in like a month or two, but absolutely. Absolutely. And speaking of which, are you, are you doing national novel writing month? I've never done it just because I've never had a book. Like I've every time it's come, come around, I've always been already working on a book. So I'd be like, oh, next year. I'm hoping actually though that the book I'm about to, I'm about to start writing a new book because I'm about to finish one. Nice. I'm really hoping that I'll be, I'll be able to get it done by the end of October. Mm-hmm. And then I'll be able to do National Novel Writing Month. So are you able to, basically it's, it's from what you were saying earlier, you were starting up on one book while the other one was being edited. Is that kind of your 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 normal process yeah so what i do is once i finish a book i often let it sit for a few months Mm -hmm. just so i like can go back with a fresh mind and perhaps newly new writing skills and just stronger writing to then go back and edit it yeah so usually what i do is once i finish a book i go see which books on my backlog still need another round of editing and Mm -hmm. while i'm writing that maybe occasionally i'll be just going through that 
And then I'll have, by the end of a few months, hopefully another book ready to publish and then another book that I can let sit for a few months. So then I go back. It's really complicated. Mm -hmm. But basically, like, yeah, just one book being edited, one book being written. And sometimes while I'm writing, I'll also, like, plan a new book so I know what I'm going to do next. Nice. So you do you have, like, a notebook or anything to just jot down ideas so that way you have, like, can keep things keep things fresh in your mind? All my ideas are written on my notes app just because like I can take it anywhere because like I'm always on my phone. So nice. One of my one of my best friends actually like she wrote she worked on the majority of her trilogy or her her own YA fantasy trilogy on her phone. Were you doing that as well? Occasionally I'll write on my phone, but I'm not like I don't know. It's slower for me. Mm -hmm. However, like sometimes when I don't have internet or when I'm in the car, I will like just pull out my phone and just start writing or on my notes app, I'll write just entire scenes that I really want to put in the book later on. Excellent. And I was even going to say, like just saying that, uh, wow, you really should keep your eyes on the road, but then I'm like, oh, wait, you're not driving yet. So (laughs) (laughs) still like, I mean, the the kind of production that you've put out already is absolutely blowing my mind. And I am so, so impressed. And I, I am I'm just blown away by by you, by your talent, by your persistence and definitely the discipline of of doing this, because there's so much that, that does this. So based on the quick moments where you were holding up some covers, those are some really good looking covers. So what what is your team that you have? So very chaotic again, mm-hmm. but yeah, like I always hire cover designers very often. It's like, it's hard to explain like my team. Cause I have different cover designers for each, almost each book. It's very strange. Mm-hmm. So for all, most of my, not all, but like most of my Wyatt dystopian covers are done by Mibble art, which is like an amazing company. Yeah. Um, they did never dying the God's right hand. And then the accidental insurgent. And then I had Murphy Ray do, you won't know her name. And she's an amazing cover artist. She's very booked a lot. So yeah, I'm trying to think. Definitely, there are some books of mine that I really like. I'm going to have her design. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, she's only designed You Won't Know Her Name. And then Sile Delane, I don't have them with me, but those are my novellas. The first two are designed by Moon Press Designs, mm-hmm. which I decided like I'm going to use for like my fantasy. And then Biomlock is the one white dystopian novel that's designed by someone else. And I'm blanking on his name. I'm so sorry. That's okay. um, Very cool. And so the you mentioned before that you have a writing coach that works with you on the editing. Do you have any beta readers or anything like that as uh, as as a group? I I really think like maybe my books would be even better if I did beta readers. I just I haven't like been able to have the time to kind of recruit like kind of very like you know sort of reliable beta readers. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of my audience is teenagers. I mean I've beta read a book when I was like thirteen. I just I don't know if like beta reading would just maybe slow the process down and if they just take my book and they don't give so I've been like and if they don't give good feedbacks I've been like really kind of scared to like get beta readers uh what I do do though is I have arc readers who will give kind of feedback right before the book's published and will like write their reviews Mm -hmm. honestly arc reading is one of the best things I've had I can never stress it enough like if you are an author put out arc reader applications this is gonna sound insane but for Never Dying, I had 100 ARC readers. 100 and ARC readers? Yes. Wow. It's just I filled out a Google form. It's like, hey, if you agree to leave a review, you can have my book early. And what I found is a good portion of them, I mean like 10%, left reviews. But I had like 10 reviews by the time the book came out, which was really great. Uh, I'm really hoping for Little Green Man, which is going to be probably one of my next releases. It's going to release after Never Taken, which is a Never Dying sequel, but it's going to be hard to do Arc Readers for that because it's a sequel. For Little Green Man, I'm going to put out Arc Reader applications very early on Mm -hmm. and probably as soon as the book just 
is beginning editing and I'm going to try to get like more than a hundred. <laughs> That's so exciting. Like I'm, I'm so excited for you, for everything that, that, that you have going. So for, for those who are in that same situation, like they're 13, they're 14, they have stories in them. They have an idea in them. They don't know what to do. They're not sure like what the, what the steps would be. What would you say to them is the first step that they need to take? So try to plan out your novel just a little. Write down your characters and the basic plot. If that isn't working for you, just as long as your characters and just little things about them, just how they act, sit down and just write and see where it goes. Maybe even don't know anything. Just sit down, look at a blank page, and just start writing. And then once you feel like you want to stop, go back and edit and see what you can turn into like an actual novel. See what could be used as an opening for a novel. If you Mm -hmm. manage to write an entire short story, try to expand it. Try to add subplots. I've done this before and it's extremely helpful when you just can't think of anything. However, there are some times when it's like, it's really good to plan out your novel. If you have an idea that you think is going to be really complicated, plan it out, map it out. If that's not working, again, just write. Every day I recommend that you try to write at least, I don't know. I mean, I like to do a thousand words a day, but that can be a lot for people starting out. Maybe start out with 200 words and do that for like a few weeks or a month. Then go to the next month, do 500 words and then a thousand or maybe 750, then a thousand. Just build your way up to where you have a routine where you're writing the same amount every single day. And it's actually an effective amount. Two two words every day is not going to work. No, it's not. (laughs) Yeah. But even like a hundred, I mean, if you do a hundred, you can have your book finished in a little over a year, but that is a long time. Mm -hmm. So I'd say even 500 words. See, a thousand is what I like. So you can finish it in like a month or two and maybe even more if you do a little more on the weekends. So just really get the words out and just write and always don't let your age get ahead of you. Like you can be an incredibly talented writer at 13. You can be a better writer than most adults. It's all about how much you practice and how much you strive to improve. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Huge words to live by. So, so you are all over social media. Where are the best places where our listeners can find you? I'd first recommend checking out my TikTok, which is at Shanti Who Writes. There's just, I, I post a lot of tips on there. I post about my books. I post about my story. And if you're really looking to know more, just follow me on TikTok. My Instagram is at Shanti Hershenson. I'd also recommend following me there. And if you want to find my books, my interviews, everything, I'd recommend going to shantihershenson.com. That's S-H-A-N-T-I-H-E-R-S-H-E-N-S-O-N.com. That's where like everything is. I'm always updating my website because I have to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I get lazy about it, but yeah, those are like the places to check me out. <laughs> I I can't think of I can't think of the word lazy being in your vocabulary <laughs> at all for everything that you've done, and I am so so grateful that you dis- that you reached out to be a guest on this show because I truly feel that that when this is when what it all comes down to is it doesn't matter how old you are, who is willing to put in the work, who is willing to get those words on the screen, on the page, get them out there. It does not matter how old you are, whether you are, whether you are 10 years old, whether you are 90 years old, whatever. Like there is a story in you. You have to let it out. And I don't care what people say when they say, oh, every story has been told. Your story has not been told. Your story, the story that is in your mind that is coming out from your point of view, that has yet to be told. And it does not matter how old you are, as long as you are willing to sit down, put in the work, 
see it through to completion, then great things can happen for you at any age. Shanti has proven that, and I am so thrilled to see what she has in store for us all in the future. So for Shanti Hershenson, this is George Soroy saying to all of you, ever upward, and I will see you next week. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Excelsior Journeys. I hope it was both inspiring and entertaining. Special thanks to Zach Comtois for providing new music for the intro and outro. Please take a moment to leave a rate and review on Apple Podcasts. And if you enjoy the show, please share it with your friends and subscribe to your platform of choice by going to he'sgotit.com slash podcasts. While there, you can also fill out the application to be a guest, inquire about sponsorship opportunities, and click on the Buy Me a Coffee link if you wish to give your support to the show. All interaction is very much appreciated. If you have a question, comment, or suggestion for the show, please direct it to george at he'sgotit.com.